Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, I thank, I'm very thankful for the opportunity of being able to open the Word of God this evening. And uh, before we do, let's just pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word, and we ask that as we look at it this evening, that your Holy Spirit would guide our thoughts, help us, Lord, Lord to learn from what you have for us, and also give us the, the strength to put into practice in our lives what we learn, that the name of Jesus might be honoured and glorified. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, one of my uh, lecturers at college once, uh, once repeated the comment of a friend of his that was living in the, uh, uh, under the Soviet occupation. I think he was either from uh, Estonia or from Lithuania. But he said, We know who our enemy is. In the West, you don't. You see, it's a big danger for Christians to conform to culture. It creeps up unawares, and that's what we'll be looking at this evening. Uh, some years ago, actually, in Chile, there was uh, um, the wife of a couple attempted suicide, and uh, sometime later the, they sort of got things in order, but it was when, not until the, the husband actually said, you know, I've been living according to the culture, according to Chilean culture, you know, the big macho. And uh, once he realised that and changed his life, things did change in that marriage. But back in 2017, in the Southern Cross, there was an article there about Andy Lyons, who was consecrated the missionary bishop to oversee a congregation's disenfranchised by the Scottish Church's decision to allow same-sex marriages. Now, the Scottish Church was moved by liberal proponents who maintained that, and I quote, the cultural context of scripture was no longer applicable for guidance on marriage and sexuality. Obviously, they had moved on from scripture. Also, just recently, in the last few years, there's been an, a, a debate among evangelicals on the atonement. Some saying that if, Christ, if, we, if we start preaching that Christ took the penalty for our sins, then that's just a form of domestic uh, child abuse. Uh, it's not acceptable to our culture, and so they want to reject it. The BBC made a report that in uh, the mainstream Protestant churches and six smaller denominations in Holland, 17% of clergy are either agnostic or atheist. One of them wrote a book entitled Believing in a Non-Existent God. He wasn't disciplined as, quote, his views were too widely shared by others in the church for him to be singled out. And so the Bible was used in a sort of metaphorical way, uh, which they found quite liberating because you could say whatever you wished. Uh, we met Mex many, many Christians in Mexico who claimed to be missionaries. They knew nothing about the Bible, but they did play the guitar, they sang, and they sought, uh, they did a missionary work teaching worship. There was no truth, just feel good with music. And they were conforming to the popular religious culture of the day. David Wells wrote some insightful books. He'd uh, surveyed evangelical pastors in the United States and found that a good 50% of them think that psychology and administration are far more useful than theology. God and his word have been replaced at the centre by man, by man and his supposed need and their cultural solutions. And so the Bible was now largely irrelevant for ministry. 
and I quote again, as the body of common belief has shrunk and the importance of that belief has diminished within the evangelical world, there have arisen advocates for almost everything within the larger religious world. Passion for truth has now gone, following culture. The pastorate has become professionalised. The central function of the pastor has changed from that of truth broker to manager of the small enterprises we call churches. You see, that happened in the Old Testament. God's revelation was combined with pagan gods and culture and that had a, dev a devastating effect. After all, the Canaanites were far better at agriculture than the Jews and so they adopted their religious and cultural ideas for better crops. And so we see in our culture, we see that it's neutral. Culture is neutral and harmless, but it continues to be as loaded with values as in Old Testament times. And the culture that we live in is called secular humanism, and it has invaded our churches. Uh, in a recent Southern Cross magazine, there was a call for more chaplains to sporting teams to help members have a better pardon me, to help members have a better self-esteem. That's, sec that's uh, secular humanism, not, not Christianity, as we'll see later. Our culture feels that we're basically good. There's no conviction of sin and repentance has disappeared. And so we might call it cheap grace. That is, forgiveness is forgiveness without repentance. Grace is without the cross or without Christ. And here I can sort of stop and put an ad in here for the late Michael Ovey's sermon at GAFCON in 2013. It was entitled The Grace of God or the World of the West. Now if you can Google that, I'll say it again, The Grace of God or the World of the West. You can Google that and you can either see it on a video or a transcript. And it's well worth the read or, or hearing it. But has truth been, has it ever been any different? Truth is discounted. And it's a, a constant danger, and we need to be on our, our, our guard. And John, in uh, his second letter, was facing a similar situation. And truth matters. So how did he confront it? So we'll see what John has to say under three points. First of all, true Christianity, that's verses 1 to 6. The deceivers, verses 7 to 9. And hospitality, verses 10 to 12. So true Christianity first. He says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, and I'm reading from the ESV, uh, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. So John is actually writing, <clears throat> pardon me, to the chosen lady and her children. That's just... Um, basically the house church and its members rather than a literal lady several indications about that but we haven't got time to investigate it but whom I love in the truth in other words true Christianity is marked by truth and love love is something that is based on truth and we'll see that as we go through and we can never increase love by diminishing truth or by separating the two uh, as we shall see uh, it's much more than, than being nice. And I'll quote Andy Lyons, who was made a bishop back in 2017. He says, It's not loving to allow people to believe that any lifestyle that runs contrary to the Bible is acceptable to God. 
And so it's not just being nice, but it's there's something, our fellowship, our love for one another is actually based on truth. And so John includes not just himself, but all who know the truth uh, will love those who belong to this church. They will love others who belong to the truth. In other words, the truth of the gospel is the basis of our fellowship. It produces love between those who share it. Now, we're not talking about a natural affection that, uh, you know, we all like golf, so we'll, we'll form a golf club, or we all play bridge, so we'll form a bridge club, or we all play squash, uh, depending what uh, your, your level of activities uh, uh, is, is on, you're on about. But it's based on knowing the truth. Um, it forms a bond, and we love one another in the truth. And that truth abides in us. Um, he says there, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. That truth abides in us. That is, we live in the truth. It's an indwelling force that brings us to be like Christ and produces Christ-likeness. And not all who look to Jesus actually believe it or live in that truth. John, uh, Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, he said to the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you abide in my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Also in John 15, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And that's something that goes on forever. It's not something that was just uh, good for the Jews in the first century uh, of, of Jesus. No, it's forever. So truth then is not relative or outdated. We don't move on from it, as, uh, as the, uh, the Scottish church was doing, moving on from what the scripture taught. Um, Tony Morfitt, who's one of the leading script, script uh, writers on television in Australia here, or was, um, he wrote a book called A Hole in My Ceiling when he was converted. And he says this, he said, truth relative in the physical, or saying that truth is relative in the physical world is nonsense and, and can't, can't survive. It's a bit like uh, the late Christopher Hitchens who was um, an atheist. He said, there are no postmodernists at 33,000 feet. In other words, if you're up there then, and you believe that you know, gravity might be true or it might not be true, uh, you're in a bad situation. But he said, uh, truth that is relative in the physical world is nonsense and can't survive. Likewise, in the moral world, rightness flows from God in sync with his will. Wrongness is rebelling against that will. And so truth is not in something that is individually or culturally determined. That was Adam and Eve's misconception. Uh, they thought that if they... Uh, uh, if they disobeyed God and obeyed Satan, then they could become a God and they could determine what was right and what was wrong. Uh, they could do that themselves. They would determine that. No need to wait for God to tell us. And that still causes chaos today with people who have my truth and your truth. If that's the case, anything goes. And to, and to those then who believe in the truth and, and uh, living in the truth, uh, John wishes God's grace, mercy and peace. These can, in the Greek, they can either be the conditions or the consequences of truth and love. They go together. Grace, mercy and peace and truth and love all go together, especially the truth about Jesus, who is the Father's Son, 
In other words, the Messiah is God's eternal son, a concept under cultural attack in the first century. And we'll enlarge on that a bit later. So John re rejoices there because some of them are work working in the truth. That is, they follow the truth, they obey it, they conform their life to it. Uh, it as it produces a family likeness to the one who gave it, that is God himself, who gave that uh, command, God who is, who is truth. And so truth is not an option to be discarded for the sake of unity. Uh, and yet some only are walking that way. If we look at verses 4 and 5, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So some then are following the truth, but some are not. Some will join the church for other reasons. It might be that they find the people in the church are nice people. It might be that they like the music. They like the band and they like the songs and uh, sort of like a bit of a concert. So they think it's good. Yeah, we'll go there. It could be the attraction of the opposite sex. They've, uh, if you're a, a male, you might have your eye on, on one of the young girls or vice versa. If you're a girl, you might look at one of the young fellows. Or you might like the, uh, the good morals. Aldous Huxley, in the time of Darwin, was agnostic, but he sent his children to a, a Christian school because he wanted them to have good morals. Not that he really believed anything about God, but that's, the way to get, that's where you get a good, a good moral teaching. And so God's sovereign grace brought the truth to live in us, in verse 2, but it's our responsibility then to obey it, as we were commanded by the Father. We don't ignore it, else we'll be judged. As, John, as uh, Jesus said in John 15, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. So if walking in the truth, we will love one another. In verse 5, that's an old commandment. It comes from Leviticus 19.18, to love our neighbour as ourself. And it's given by Jesus as a new command to love one another like he loved. In other words, the new standard is Jesus' love. But love is coupled with and depends on truth. They go together. We can't separate love and truth. And uh, we, we speak the truth in love, and that leads to maturity in Christ. But love is commanded. Therefore, it's not an emotion. It's a doing word. For God so loved the world that he gave. It's not so, for God so loved the world that he gave us a hug, but he sent his son uh, to, that, that, that we might have eternal life. And in Ephesians 5, it it's, explains it even further, as the husband is to love his wife. In the same way, same way husbands uh, should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And so... Love, then, is unselfish service based on a true knowledge of God in the gospel. And it depends upon our knowledge of God. As the Apostle Peter puts it, he said, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. But to know the truth doesn't always produce love. For instance, we have the, the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. 
And so love then depends on our knowledge of God, but it also involves our will, our determination uh, to love. It's not based on feelings. I don't have a switch here that I can switch, uh, you know, I'm, I'm loving now or I'm not loving or whatever. Uh, it comes through a determined um, a determination on my part to do what God has commanded me to do. And so truth then is still the basis. There is no genuine love without truth, and that truth must be seen in the light of eternity. That is, uh, we don't just give a cup of tea to someone who's on their way to hell. Truth is involved in an in, in eternal look, and a look at the end time. What will, will that, people, that person be experiencing when Jesus comes again on the day of judgment? So love is more than being nice. Uh, it's actually bringing the gospel to that person. And we have Jesus' pattern for that. If we uh, were to read the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6, we would read that Jesus had compassion on the 5,000 because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them. You see, that's how Jesus had compassion at that time, by teaching them the truth that they might have fellowship with God. And so this is love then, that we walk in his commandments. And that walking in God's commandments is actually our worship. If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 12, much the same sort of thing. He says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, that is, to its culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. I actually discern no reference to any music in that. But love fulfills the law. So let no debt remain outstanding, says Paul in Romans 13, except to, uh, continuing, the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And that is perfect freedom. Uh, we say that in, uh, we used to say that in the collect at morning prayer, that uh, to serve God is actually perfect freedom. And uh, Psalm 119 verse 45 says much the same thing. I will walk about in freedom for I have sought out your precepts. So is that the way that we love or is love still a feeling for us? You know, obedient love for the Father and the Son can actually change our life. Um, in Chile, we had lots of uh, people who would come and offer their services to speak at the church. One such was a guy called Cy Rogers. And Cy was very, very effeminate looking. He had been for years a homosexual, but he changed his life because he said, when he was converted, my love for God was greater than my love for my partner. You see, it changed his life because he was prepared to, be, to obey God. And obedience is always in the context of grace and redemption. So once he was Christian, then he determined that he would obey God. And when he spoke at uh, the church in Chile, he was uh, married with a child. And so the key then to all this is to focus on God's active love for us. That's the supreme example of love. 
as John puts it in his first letter. He said, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. So it was action, not a fluctuating emotion. And because it was God's action and he did something, we can have assurance that nothing will separate us from the love of God. If God, has for, God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our love is the appropriate response to God's love for us, reflecting on what he has actually done for us. And so we need to feed on the truth that's revealed in God's word that we might grow in love. As Paul prays for the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 10, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. So why? Why then do we need to grow in the knowledge of God? Well, basically because, as it says in verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Um, verse 7, many deceivers have gone into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So many deceivers are there. That explains why we need to walk in truth and why we need to love. They are the basis of what he will say about the deceivers and, the, and hospitality. Truth and love are the, the defence against error. So the deceiver here is one who does not acknowledge Jesus as coming in the flesh. Um, he was either a Gnostic or docetic. That was his error. Um, but it was basically, we, we don't have that problem now, but we go back and say, what was it? It was actually an accommodation to the culture of those days where flesh was evil. And so to say that God came in flesh, well, no, no, that's, that's a contradiction in terms. You can't say that. And so they denied the incarnation. But basically that was because culture was affecting their view. Um, and Gnosticism is not a big part of today's culture. Yeah, it's guarded against by the creeds, but our culture is still the fount of deceit. That is secular humanism with its focus on man and his supposed need for self-esteem. And even psychologically, that's uh, a bit sus. Uh, a guy called Paul Witz, who was an atheist, uh, suddenly came to realise that he didn't believe what he was teaching. And he wrote a book, Psychology as Religion, The Worship of Self, where he points out that we're all victims who supposedly need to build up our self-esteem. But the focus on self is the cause, not the solution of our problems. And uh, that, he's not alone in that. Not a, there's a, there was a break in the American Psychological Association in 1988 with the experimental society, um, scientific uh, psychologists uh, broke away from the self-theorists. The self-theorists, by the way, are nearly all uh, atheists. Um, Rollo May, Abraham Maslow, and so forth. It was often said that all truth is God's truth. But that begs the question. The ruler of this world is Satan. As Jesus said very clearly in John chapter 12, verse 31, chapter 14, verse 30, chapter 16, 11, and so on. And Paul reiterates in Ephesians 2 that, that Satan actually is the ruler of this world because from the time of Adam and Eve, they gave him the power over humanity. 
and uh, Satan then will make sure that worldly truth or worldly wisdom is not God's truth. And we could read that about that in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. And so discernment is always called for, and the world's wisdom must always be tested by the truth of God's word. I had a recent argument with an Anglican minister. He said, we need to learn to forgive ourselves, as we must love ourselves before we can love our neighbour. That's what our culture uh, thinks. That's cheap grace. It's really saying, well, I'm really a better, better person than what I did, and so I must forgive myself that, that mistake that I made. That's not the Bible's view. When David sinned, he wrote this. He said, against God only have I sinned. Now, we might look at that and say, well, he did sin against Uriah, which we had in the, uh, the sermons. I did um, sin against Uriah, um, but basically it was God. And uh, when, when uh, Jesus was talking to um, Peter and the, the apostles about discipleship, he said, well, you need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross, lose your life for my sake and the gospel's sake, and then you'll save it. In other words, self is to die. Uh, actually, as Christians, we're not looking for self-esteem. We're looking for Christ-esteem because Christ is my righteousness, not me. I'm not righteous in myself, but Christ is my righteousness. He is my redemption. And so, and, and, then, and therefore, in, in the last time, in 2 Timothy uh, 3, Paul says, in the last times, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money and arrogant. In other words, you know, I sit alone and hold my hand. We, we love ourselves. We think we're great. Um, no, that's not what it's about. Our culture says that that's what it's about. You have to sell yourself. You have to be, uh, have, have the esteem to push yourself forward. Uh, the Bible says, no, it's not like that at all. Uh, it's Jesus who is the one who is pushed forward. He's the one who has the authority. So how then do we pick error? Well, we pick error by knowing the truth. But do we? Um, if you want to tell what, uh, what we want to pick a forged banknote, then you don't study all the possible forgeries. You study the true note so that anything else can come up against it and you can compare it. Um, so we study the truth or be fair game for deceivers. We won't even realise that we're being deceived. So the false teachers then are promised to be with us. We will come across false teachers. In Mark 13, Jesus said, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform, perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. Um, in the parable of the weeds, in Matthew 13, let, Jesus said, Will we let both go, grow together until the harvest? And at that time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Um, so they'll be there all the time until the day of judgment. And in 2 Peter 2, but there were also fa false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them. You see, there will always be factions and divisions among us. Um, Paul recognised that. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 19, he said, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognised. So you see how important it is to have discernment. Um, but such a one, as he says in chapter, uh, verse 7 rather, uh, for such a one is a deceiver, the Antichrist. 
John's referring to the itinerant preachers posing as true missionaries but proclaiming a false message. They are deceivers and antichrists, adjusting their message to the current cultural beliefs, but con contrary to Christ. And so the, the consequence of that is watch out in verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So watch yourselves that, so that you may uh, not lose what we have worked for. John's work in, was in vain if this generation falls into, into error. Paul had the same concept too, where he, he asked the Philippians to hold on firmly to the word of life so that he hadn't run or laboured in, in vain. But you may feel, that they may feel sorry that you may win a full reward. They also lose a full reward of Christian labour. Probably it's not salvation, but it's probably God's approbation for faithful service as Christians. Um, either way, the error is not marginal or of little importance. But the way that we don't go is to run ahead. As he said in verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So those who go on ahead, the deceivers run ahead beyond the gospel into cultural gnosis or knowledge instead of abiding in the truth. And novelty is always attractive. It was uh, attractive to Eve. She had a clear word from God that if she ate the fruit of that tree, she would die. But when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. So her emotions got control. We have a clear word, don't eat it. Yes, but... It looks nice. It's desirable. Um, it, it, it could be profitable. It, it, I like it. And so we take it. But instead of that, whoever abides in the teaching of the apostles has both the Father and the Son. So the truth must live in us. As Christians, we must never leave the gospel behind. As Paul said to the Colossians in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2, he says, So then... Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Only faith in Jesus Christ leads to a relationship with God. I am the way, the truth and the life, said Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me. But then he brings it into hospitality. So if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Well, here's the application of watch yourselves. In other words, be careful. But why does he pick on hospitality? Well, I can, I, I can sympathise with being itinerant. We did a lot of that when we were missionaries, but years and years ago when I was um, surveying the Newell Highway, uh, surveying from two places called Beckham to Marul. Uh, Marul, you can Google that. You can look. And uh, it, when, I, when we were there, I remember there was only a two-storey pub. There wasn't, didn't seem to be anything else apart from a wheat silo. But now there are about five buildings. Um, they've sealed the Newell Highway, so there's more activity and the customers and so forth are building up. But I guess that when we arrived there, we were about the first guests they'd ever had in about 50 years. But the law says that all these pubs have to provide suitable accommodation, acceptable accommodation, or they'll lose their licence. So with a surprised look and a gasped look when they saw us sort of coming to stay, uh, we ended up eating with the family. 
Um, so that was okay. But in the first century BC, oh, sorry, in the first century AD, that wasn't the case. Um, there was Roman peace. Uh, there was a common language, which was actually Greek, not Latin, in the East. Uh, travel was easy, but there was no Sheraton Hotel or Hilton or not even a Maril pub. There were very few inns, but, and I quote, they were little removed from houses of ill fame, dirty and flea-infested, and the innkeepers rapacious. So if you haven't got a dictionary handy, that means that they were predatory thieves. In other words, if you went to bed, you slept with one eye open and your purse under your pillow. That's the only way you, <clears throat> you could survive. And so therefore, the gospel preachers looked for and received hospitality from Christian families, as we often did in, in many countries in Latin America. And we had a great time of fellowship. But after the first apostolic preachers, not all the itinerant preachers were proclaiming the truth. Cultural beliefs were starting to compromise the truth of the gospel and still are today. So what did John say to do about it? Well, he said in verses 10 and 11, you deny them hospitality. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. So if he comes to you and does not bring this teaching, we have a problem here because in, in English, you is both singular and plural. And so if we were to read this in a, um, a more enlightened way, we'd say if anyone comes to use, because the word's plural, and does not bring teaching. In other words, it's to the, to the whole church. So the whole church, and asks to speak. The problem is how do you obey the command to love, showing hospitality to visiting preachers when the preacher proclaims error? Well, John's quite uh, clear on that. Do not receive him or give him any greeting. In other words, if the message is not true, then don't receive him. No truth means showing hospitality is not showing love. So if, the, if, if there's error, you're not showing love by receiving that person. I'll repeat the comment of Andy, Andy Lyons. He said, it is not loving to allow people to believe that any lifestyle that runs contrary to the Bible is acceptable to God. We, had, uh, we don't get very many people coming inviting themselves here in Australia, but in Chile it was, it was fairly common. We probably have maybe two, three, four people a year uh, would come and introduce themselves as sort of missionaries and uh, want to speak to the congregation. And uh, our pastor wasn't well trained and he would invite them. But as one, one of the fellows uh, in the church said later on, he said, you know what we should really do if we're going to have a visiting speaker like that, we need to have a seminar on his sermon later so we can correct the errors. Um, it was an uh, unfortunate sort of thing, that. But uh, a lot of people who came were preaching error. And so showing hospitality to teachers of falsehood is not love, but it's spiritual suicide. It exposes the flock to uncorrected error and confirms the deceiver in his false belief. And even worse, whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So to welcome falsehood is to side with evil. And that's easy to do in our, our age of toleration and relativism. Uh, tolerance is not indifferent to basic truths of the gospel. Um, that's uh, secondary matters are unrelated to the gospel. We're not including those. You can have differences of opinion on those. But in our age, toleration is becoming you have to accept that other person and believe what he's saying. You can't criticise him. You have to be tolerant, and that's relativism. Um, and we can't have that. 
But the other side of hospitality is that hospitality can be enjoyed. Uh, in verse 12a, I hope to come to you. Right, I have much to write to you. I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. So John hopes to visit and uh, generous hospitality is normally extended to teachers of the truth. Uh, the Bible tells that, Romans 12, 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Hebrews 13, verse 2, many entertained angels unawares. Um, that happened to us in Chile. We entertained an, an angel unawares. There was a Baptist uh, missionary who lived about, I suppose, a kilometre away, and uh, our landlady had just announced that she had just seen uh, an agent. She was, going, she was an Anglo-Chilean. And as she got old, she said, it'll be better if I retired in England. So she was going back to England and putting the house on sale. And we figured we needed another year and a half before we could finish up. And so we were down a bit, but then the next morning, along comes a knock on the door, and it's the Baptist missionary. And uh, we tell him the tale, and uh, he says, well, he said, I'm pleased to say that God has just sent you his angel. Here I am. Well, he was bald sweaty because he'd been running and smelly because he'd been running as well but he was God's angel he said we are going on extended furlough you can have our house rent free so there was this uh, this angel who uh, just appeared on the door uh, offering us his house so but that's generous hospitality and uh, John would like to come and talk face to face because it gives the, the, the opportunity to clarify issues. You, you can look at, uh, you can explain things better, you can clarify responses, and a bit difficult with paper and ink in the first century. There was no email, no Zoom, none of those sorts of things. But it's also a joy to come together. Face-to-face -to -face will be an occasion of great joy, as we ourselves have experienced in many different countries. So then how can we conclude? Well, we can say that John's overriding concern is that Christians should be prepared for the promised deceivers that will come. They will come. Uh, to be prepared means to know the truth. Study it so that any deviation will be picked up. Now, study is not to be left to the clergy alone. We are all responsible to know the truth. You see, the church is not, uh, as it was in the medieval times, a hierarchical system where we had the Pope and the, uh, the cardinals and the archbishops and the bishops and uh, the priests and so forth and, and all of us lay people were down under the carpet somewhere. Um, that was not the way the Bible presents the church. The, the church is presented as a, on a horizontal plane. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ with different functions and we, we support and help one another. Uh, actually in Vineyard we had 50% of the, of the congregation there doing the PTC courses. But on the day of judgment, we can't blame our pastor. We are responsible to know the truth. And uh, if we get there on the day of judgment and say, well, well, well my pastor never, never touched on that topic, the reply would be, well, didn't you have a Bible? Did you not have time to read it and study it? We all must do that. We are all responsible. And so also, so to know the truth, sorry, to be prepared is to know the truth, but it's also to show love. That is obeying God and serving others before ourselves correcting any error that is discerned, not welcoming it as if it were the truth or not important. So we must never agree to differ on gospel essentials. We need to thrash it out. And so we need then to walk in love, living in Christ's words, remain in me as I also remain in you, 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And we remain in Christ by living in his word, the truth. Shall we pray? Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we do pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, work in our lives, Lord, that we might uh, not only seek to walk in the truth, Lord, but that we might do so, that we might live lives that are worthy of the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.